I think over your career you've had a consistently very important role in magazines but I think some people would say Terry's an art director that's always what he's been that's what he is but then other people obviously your team at ID perhaps who worked there when you were there would would say that you're an editor-in-chief what do you think you've done? I think I've empowered people to capitalize on their talent and I think that was part of the aim when you know with ID but even yeah I guess I, guess I, I was learning before ID and so when I started ID the idea was that there was people with a lot of talent or a lot of skills and they should just capitalize on what they could do mm. and sometimes people didn't know what they could do but they you know ended up doing it really really well. So it's not about your talent, it's about other people's talent? Yeah, sometimes I've described myself like a mirror. When you meet someone, do you work with them because you think they're talented or do you work with them because you like them? I think there's a chemistry, but I think also there's an energy. You know, at Vogue, I would have uh, the photographers I wanted to work with, Alex Chatelaine or, or Arthur Algort, they would stay in the top of our house. So they were like family. Let's talk about your sort of earlier earliest life. Do you remember when you were a child? Were you obsessed with design? Were you obsessed with magazines? What, what were your interests? No, not at all. I, 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 getting into magazines was, or getting into art anyway, was serendipitous. Um, you know, the school I went to uh, was a, a school for um, single parent children so, so that um, I was put into care and ended up because my mother was in hospital. So I had no idea what art was, and the, the you know the most contemporary artist I'd heard of at school was Van Gogh. Um, so coming out of school at 16, and that was pure chance because I should have probably gone into the forces. They thought that would be a nice, safe occupation. Yeah. Um, but I'd written to my mother in Bristol, and she found out that there was a um, an interview for commercial art students in Bristol at the West of England College of Art. And I had a day to get my portfolio together to go for an interview. And as the school didn't keep work, they, they destroyed it. I actually had to produce six pieces of work that night. And they wanted to see 12, and I, I managed to scrape together nine. I had three at, from school, and, you know, and, and somehow got into this commercial mm. arts college, uh, um, course. So it was serendipitous, really. Were you ambitious or were you rebellious? In a no, bit of I, I think I was just naive. Okay. Uh, I, I think that it was such a difference between coming out of a uniform type school and then, um, you know, my friends were bikers and, or greasers. And at that time, you know, there were jazz clubs in Bristol. And so I'd hang out and, and I grew my hair. So, you know, my hair was kind of got long and, uh, I was between what was going on then was, you know, bikers or rockers and mods and beats. And so at college, I was reasonably tolerated, um, but I didn't look like a graphic student. I looked like a fine art student, I suppose. What do you mean? Well, in those days, you know, students that went did graphics were meant to kind of wear, you know, tidier clothes. And I used to cycle in and, and uh, get oil on my jeans and wipe my brushes and, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I was, I suppose, rebelling from a uniform and, um, and uh, th I think that was a point where ID formulated mm. about identity. 
Tell me more about um, if you're comfortable doing so. It's interesting what you were saying about your, your own family and how you grew up sort of in quite, a, I guess, quite a lonely way. Do you think that's what's made you have such an interest in kind of growing a family professionally around you? It's not something I've ever thought about uh, as, a, as a reason. It may have had, well, in, 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 in one way it would be contradictory because the schools I was in, they were boarding schools, so you'd have, you know, tons of kids in the same situation. Well, mm. I mean, there was 150 kids, I suppose, in the school. Um, and then, you know, coming back to the estate in the holidays, it again was gangs, you know, you, we were part of the French mob. And so the, the French mob was um, sort of the junior league bikers and Bristol's, you know, Seven Hill City. And so there would always be confrontations between one territory and another. Um, and I think that I always found that stupid, you know, that there, there were always this kind of rivalry um, and that it was a way of actually breaking down those rivalries. And I think that when ID started, it was actually about breaking down the, the whole uniform and that you'd be able to kind of mix it up much more. And so the ethos of ID at the beginning was to break down the categories so you couldn't be defined exactly. Tell me about when you left college and you started thinking about having a job because you worked for, you, you kind of quite famously worked for British Vogue, but tell me about some of the first positions you had. For the first six months, I really thought I was in the wrong job. So I then decided to have fun and try and break some of the rules. And B Miller was amazing and let me get away with all sorts of breaking rules. So, um, you know, covers notoriously. I had a habit of chopping heads and... and uh, um, no eyes. I think, you know, the upside down cover, the... the um, you know, Bailey and I got on really well and I think from the historic uh, group of photographers that uh, were there, um, Bailey was the one that was kind of most encouraging mm. um, because he was so mischievous and the fact that, you know, we were able to get away with stuff that he hadn't been able to get away with for 10 years before. Um, it was a breath of fresh air. Tell me more a little bit about um, that period at Vogue. I want to ask about another aspect to what was going on and what was exciting you beyond just toying with the work itself, which was the bigger movements, because punk was something that fascinated you, wasn't it? And it was something that they perhaps didn't cover. I had this young photographer come to see me, a guy called Steve Johnston, and uh, he was uh, out of Carlisle and um, he had a, a nice set of photographs you know landscapes and sheep and stuff that he'd done up in Carlisle and I said to him, he'd never make a living doing that but on King's Road there was you know so much going on just do head to toes because if when I was a student growing up in the 60s someone had documented what was going on in the 60s they'd have a really good record mm. so he went off and um, came back after three months, showed me these head-to-toe, and on each contact he'd have like at least 16 people that looked brilliant. So I thought that would be great for Vogue. And B. Miller came in and I hadn't realised how much Steve had changed in three months because he suddenly had dyed his hair orange, he was wearing a jacket with safety pins, he had swastika on his forehead, and, um, and she looked in and she just saw him as one of these guys she'd been reading about in the Daily Mirror and walked out. You know, she couldn't kind of enter the discussion. 
And so um, I realized that, that Vogue you know, was such an institution, it couldn't recognize what was going on on the streets. Zandra Rhodes at the same time was doing her, or was inspired to do her punk collection. And I tried to actually make that one of my last covers, was mm. um, a headline, what a ripoff. When you look at British Vogue today, I think you know, whenever you work somewhere, it becomes a part of you in a way, and you always feel really attached to it. Do you, when you look at British Vogue, do you feel like it's you in any way? No. I, I, it's, um, I mean, I can, it, it was funny going back, because I hadn't been back into Vogue until, uh, you know, with Bee's Memorial, and it was such a different world. Um, and uh, I see it as, you know, part of my past, yeah. But when I pick up the magazine, um, I'll flip through it. You know, it's the same way as I might flip through any other magazine. Do you think I it's a good magazine? Do I think it's a good magazine? I think it could be better. <laughs> okay, let's talk about that period when you left, because did you leave, when you decided to leave, did you think, I'm going to leave to, to start my own magazine? Or was it more pragmatic and more confused than that? The idea of doing a magazine myself happened around 76, I was wanting to do a newspaper okay. and um, there was a, a newspaper in New York that I'd been inspired by which was called, uh, actually I can't remember what it was called, it was a newspaper anyway, and I yeah. started a thing called Picture Wallpaper and the idea was that you create a newspaper that you could plaster your walls with, you know, so that it would just be images and, uh, and it was cheap or free and, uh, you know, each time, you, it was a way of, um, that you could decorate your room cheaply and uh, I couldn't get the funding for it and after a while I thought well you know if I end up doing this why am I doing it um, because it's such a lot of effort and distribution and stuff anyway the um, ID I felt was a valid kind of fanzine we kicked around names and uh, ID was the name of my company instant design or initials of instant design or informer design I was there. and Trish said yeah that's the title ID mm. and uh, so it just started really as a hobby. When you started ID was it about the content or was it about the design because if, if you read things about ID there's so much that you know it was started because you fell in love with street style it started because you adored punk but was it just because you love design? I think it was just the the idea of moving imagery and typography together. The type on an image mm. added something. The word together with an image. So you can have an image and then you can stick a word with it or words with it mm. and you can give it a different meaning. So that combination always interested me. And you know, even at Vogue um, I would bang type through the middle of images sometimes. Mm upsetting photographers um, doing it but you know I, I like this kind of physical imposition of type on an image mm. and um, that it was not too precious and I wasn't interested in journalism as such I just wanted the words to come from the person you saw so it's like you walk up to someone and say well what's your interest and then they tell you your interests and you you know get those down so in the process of doing that, um, we would look for things where um, 
It was about meeting a mate, in a way. Nick Knight told me some great stories about you um, deliberately mixing captions up on his pictures. So <laughs> he'd have shot, when he was doing his sort of skinhead period, he'd have shot some great big bouncer, and then you'd put a caption that was some cute little girl who was interested in poetry <laughs> on it. And Dylan Jones um, told me a story about how you'd... Um, your approach to sub-editing, you just cut the bottom off an article if it didn't fit. Yeah. Well, it's the same like photographers, you know, if you can't get the head in and chop the head. Did you, were you was there an element, because you were laughing when I was telling you about it, but was there an element where you, you realised it was playful? There must have been something slightly more, which was this idea of deliberately being a little bit subversive. All that stuff about readers' research takes away gut instinct. And I think gut instinct is something which you have to develop. Instinct is mm. something which you have to develop. So you start reacting on your personal instincts and make judgments on your personal instincts. So that's the thing which I think has been taken away mm. by everything being kind of sanitized and you know, mm. going through a process of, of rules. I guess in those early days, you know, we, we really broke all the rules. Yeah, I mean, you know, perfecting the art of illegibility and things like that, <laughs> which was something where, I, you know, the idea of doing headlines where you'd scribble them out but then have to give subtitles was, um, was part of the, the fun of actually slowing people down. You know, the idea that you have a magazine every four months um, or three months, it was a quarterly, um, you know, that you still can discover something after three months rather than actually consuming things fast. Mm. And I think that was a, an idea intentionally brought into the design process. Mm. And that things have layers, so the, you know, the idea of layering things which get peeled away was again part of a design idea that was, you know, became a style. It's interesting thinking about that passage of time um, and also the influence that ideas had on people. That's interesting because you speak to a lot of people where they talk about the kind of really early issues. Do you think that ID had a, a heyday in any respect? Was it better at I, any point? I think what's really interesting is that um, you know, it happened so often that people would pick up ID and they'd say, oh, this is the best issue. And it happened over and over, you know, like every year you, you'd sort of find someone say, oh, that's brilliant. And I think that was the thing about being a mirror of the moment and try to catch that zeitgeist of the moment. Um, I, I guess commerce, has interfered with that a lot because obviously the first 10 years um, the commerce was completely different. You can look at that period where ID was developing, you know, 1980 onwards and titles like The Face, The Face isn't here anymore, you know, you're still here, ID is still here. Why have you been so successful? It's, it has to be with, you know, the, the people that are involved. It's like, it, it's, I, I think that the, there was a purity in the idea. Um, identity obviously is kind of like, um, something that goes on forever so there was beyond the facade and I think that you know the face was about the facade mm. um, I, I think that you know it was a brilliant magazine but I think that um, they tried to set the rules ID didn't um, so I think that the fact that we encompassed so such a diverse range and, and actually wanted to you know, um, promote diversity, promote um, that you could do it your own way. As a kid, you know, I used to like running and, and long distance running was something which is about stamina 
and kind of pacing yourself. And but I think at the end it's determination. So you know you you feel that you're you're on a roll, like a big snowball. You know you keep pushing a snowball along. Did you ever think about closing it down? Um, periodically, yeah. When when you know I had to remortgage my house a few times. So it's, um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, we were just very lucky with the partnerships we had. Do you think that creativity for you, it seems like it's always been a bit of an escape, kind of like a something to do to take your mind off things? You know, I often say my job, my, what I do is I daydream. And uh, I, I think that just being like a sponge where you're kind of aware of everything, you know, it's like I've walked down the street and I'll see stuff or I'm in the countryside and I'll sort of see the sky, the colours of the sky. I think just being aware of everything and appreciating that day it's the most important and that I feel such a privilege.